Amazing. Good morning. Um, sorry, that was a little bit of a longer introduction than I was planning. Um, as Tom said, my name's Owen. It's a real privilege to speak to you guys this morning and open God's Word. Um, I am the media person here, um, and so that's kind of a bit of what I do, but I have the great privilege of opening God's Word with you this morning. Um, we're going to be continuing our series on disciples of Jesus, which we've been looking at for the last, well, since January, I think it is, isn't it? Um, and hopefully you've been enjoying that. If you've missed any of them, then you can, ble- you can catch up on them if you want. They're on our website and YouTube and on Spotify and other places as well. When I speak this morning, a lot of what I say, you might think is a bit of a repeat. You might have heard of it sort of before. And in some ways, that's not a bad thing. And that's because I genuinely believe that the Spirit leads and prepares. And I really think this morning, when I speak, a lot of the things that I say, you'll go, oh, well, that was said in a word or that was said in a passage earlier. And also throughout the series. So hopefully that's a, a positive thing because I'm not saying heresy. Um, but I want to open this morning, was just telling you a story very recently when um, me and Catherine were driving up to Manchester to a wedding that we're going to with my cousin. And we stopped in through Coventry. And as soon as we got through Coventry, it started snowing. And um, I don't know about you, but what I'm about to say is going to divide the room. I reckon about 50% of you are going to hate me for what I'm about to say. And 50% of you might be on board, but I'm not too sure. I decided... What better way to celebrate this than to turn on Driving Home for Christmas by Chris Rear? See? I knew. Knew it would be descriptive. So there we were, stuck in a traffic jam, snow pouring down, listening to Chris Rear of Driving Home for Christmas. And I said to Catherine, it's almost Christmas. And she said, no, it isn't. And I said, but it is. And she said, we've got so many months. And I said, but then it's Christmas. Now, I grew up in a family where my brother was known as the the Christmas elf. He sort of lived for Christmas. Um, And as soon as it got to sort of September, maybe even earlier, you know, there would be Christmas music playing in the house. And um, it would be really great. Now, some of you, again, are really struggling with this concept. But um, he had a real obsession of living for Christmas and all that Christmas meant. And today I want to talk to you about living for the age to come. The disciples of Jesus live for an age that is coming that we can see but is not quite here. And a bit like um, me, sort of through all that I could do, trying to bring Christmas um, ever closer, although I know obviously I can't. Um, we live in an age where we look forward to this age that is coming. And to do that, we're just going to look at a passage in Matthew. So if you could all turn with me to Matthew 19, and we're going to be starting at verse 23. The background to this story is uh, a rich man or a leader comes to Jesus uh, and says, what must I do? What must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? What good things must I do? And Jesus says, well, what have you, have you lived to the law? And he said, I've lived to the law my entire life. I've obeyed all of these things. And Jesus says, go and sell everything that you own. And it says, the man was sorrowful and he went away. And then Jesus says this. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? 
But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or land for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Amazing. I want to speak this morning on three points, which are hopefully quite simple, but very complex in other ways, because they are um, all about this age that is coming. And the first is that all of us are investing somewhere. As we live our lives, all of us are investing somewhere that will affect how we relate to the age to come. There is an age coming, whether we like it or not, and all that we're doing in this age will affect that. We are investing somewhere. Secondly, what does this age look like? And then thirdly, I just want to ask a question. Are you investing into the right place and into the right things? So let's go with point number one. All of us are investing somewhere. Now currently, me and Catherine are um, in the joyful position of renting. And um, I don't know how many people are, are renting, but um, we're getting to that point where we're thinking, you know, renting or possibly buying somewhere and all of that is very difficult and has caused a lot of heartache and a lot of you know the housing market and know that it's not easy. <laughs> and um, But what I've discovered is that just life is about investing. Life is about investing in the future one way or another. The decisions that you make will have ripple-on effects for the future. So what me and Catherine decide to do now will have future ramifications and will you know, the decisions we make now will affect the future. And we have been really prayerfully considering that recently. And it's really been on my heart when I've been looking at this passage about this, this rich young man. Because it says, in the bit before the passage we read, it says, the rich man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions or, or, or many possessions. The young man didn't want to lose what he had invested in this world. He was rich and wealthy and the thought of giving all that up really deeply troubled him. And this is a man who the disciples look at him and they go, well, if he can't get into the kingdom of heaven, who can? But Jesus sees that for this man, his personal identity on this earth was swept up in his wealth, his power, his sense of meaning on this life was all grounded in the things that he had invested in this world. And because of that, it was really difficult for him to grasp hold onto Jesus and to let go of everything. He didn't know it, but he had invested in this world. And it wasn't until Jesus showed him and he had to make that decision that he realized he was too invested in this world and he didn't let go. It's a real challenge to us today. Don't get to that point. Don't get to that point. So throughout all of today, I'm going to be talking about this age um, that is coming, which we're all going to be a part of one way or another. All of us will live 
for eternity, but it will look different depending on what we invest in this world. Jesus gives this man an opportunity to see this, that his religiosity, his pomp and ceremony, all of his money, they're not hard currency in the kingdom of God. It's those who give all that they have, those that have left their houses, their brothers, their sisters, their mothers, their fathers, their children, their lands, all those things that were naturally theirs to inherit in this earth, in this world. That's the currency of investment for the age to come. It's looking beyond what is finite and looking forward to the eternal and the infinite, which is so challenging. I know that, um, hands up if you've ever heard of the, the marshmallow test with, with kids. Right? Yeah, and that sense of if you say to a, if you leave a child in the room and you just say, here's a marshmallow on a plate and you can eat it now, or you can have two marshmallows or three marshmallows later. Invariably, a lot of kids will eat the one marshmallow because it's finite, it's what's in front of them, they can see it. Sometimes we live like that. And we try and grasp hold of everything that's in front of us because we can't see beyond that. And that's what this man was living like. His investment was that marshmallow then when he could have had many marshmallows later. And I'm going to talk about that now. It's like me and Catherine. We, to rent invests in the here and now. We can't get that back. They don't just give it back to us when we buy a house. Houses invest in the future. You put aside and you work for the future. Now, what I want to say is don't think that I am saying, oh, why don't we all buy houses? Because we know it's difficult. <laughs> it requires sacrifice. It's not the same for everyone. It looks different. And in the same way, laying stuff down in this life looks different for each one of us. The types of things that we're going to lay down for Jesus are going to be different. And you may think, well, if I had their life, I could do that. I know many people, and specifically in our age now, which says, you know, you're, which is all wrapped up in identity, and says, oh, how, you can't lay down your identity, it's who you are. No, Jesus says those, those parts of your life that are not for me, that you lay down... I ask you to lay them down because you're grasping hold of something better. I'm not saying it's easy, it's painful. And there is pain and uncomfortableness waiting for the age to come. It's difficult to be patient. It's difficult to live your life according to Jesus' laws sometimes. I'm not going to stand here and say, I've got it all right, because I haven't, and it would be a lie. It's difficult, it's painful. There is a, I can only use the phrase dysphoria, <laughs> of the age to come and what is now, and we see part of it now, but we don't see it all. It's okay for it to be painful, and it's okay for the idea of sacrificing and laying down everything for the age to come to make you go, oh, that's difficult. That's okay. You're not a bad Christian for doing that. It's okay. I've heard of it said like an engagement. We're waiting for the wedding. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, that's like the engagement. It's the seal of the promise. And then we will see the full fulfillment of that one day. And in that engagement time, trust me, it was difficult at points of our engagement. It was tricky. I was impatient. I wanted to get married to Catherine. But I had to go through that time to get to what's the fulfillment of that. 
I want to come back to that later, but let's look at this age that Jesus gives this man an opportunity to invest in. So what will the age to come look like? Well, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So I've got three small points in this one. Firstly, that there'll be a new world. The age to come will look like a new creation, a reset, a renewing of the world that is currently fallen, finite, and broken. To quote the song that we're actually going to sing later, there is a day that all creation is waiting for. Jesus will come on the clouds and the heavens and the earth will be remade. That's the new order, the new earth, the new heaven that we are waiting for, that age to come. And what will that look like? Well, we're not sure fully, but we know that God's word brings some things that reveal parts of it. We know that the kingdom of God was brought when Christ came 2,000 years ago. When he lived on the earth, he died, he rose again, he proclaimed the coming of the kingdom of God. He didn't say, it will come when I come again. This kingdom that's like a mustard seed that is small but grows, or a small amount of yeast that goes into three measures of flour. So when we speak about the new heaven and the new earth, we can see a portion of what it will look like because it looks like Christ crucified. It looks like life in all its fullness. It looks like when the church is being who it's meant to be. When we see the church stepping out in worship and joy of who Christ is. When we see the church being healing in the world, both through supernatural healing and material provision. In all of those ways, we see a small picture of the coming age. And when we get excited about those things on earth, that's amazing because we're excited that we know that more is coming. But we know there's, there's more, and we read about that often in, in Revelation. And Revelation is a tricky book. It's apocalyptic writing, which doesn't mean the end of the world. It, apocalypse means an unveiling, an unfolding of things which aren't previously known, and you can't see them without this sort of unveiling. And we need to be careful when we read Revelation that we don't read it as a manual for the end of the world. It's not a step-by-step -step process or a timeline. That's it's bad theology and bad biblical interpretation. But we know that in Revelation, we see specific writing about the new heavens and the new earth. And we see prophetic overspill, both in Revelation and other apocalyptic writings like Daniel, which we'll look at later, which show things like this. In Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So what will the new heaven and the new earth look like? Well, I've just got some small points from Revelation. Justice will conquer, says in Revelation 19. The word of God will prevail. Deception will die. The saints will be vindicated. Death will be no more. God will finally and unmistakably be present with his people. Hallelujah indeed. <laughs> it's going to be an amazing place. It's going to be incredible. And why? 
because the Son of Man will rule and reign. We've spoken about the, the Son of Man before, um, and so I'm not going to go into it too much. So that's my, my second point, the Son of Man will reign. If you want to hear a sermon about the Son of Man and how Jesus is this person, uh, please go to our website. Uh, I did a sermon on it in September 2020 in our series, The Uniqueness of Christ. But to summarize, the Son of Man is a name that Jesus uses to describe himself. It's swept up in Old Testament theology and the history of God's people. Uh, and Jesus, by calling himself the Son of Man, is declaring that he is the representative and the representation of humanity before God. And so when he lived and died and rose again, he was our representative because he was the Son of Man. But when Jesus speaks of the Son of Man on his throne, the disciples and those around him probably would have been reminded more of Daniel 7. Now, Daniel sees this incredible vision in Daniel 7 of these terrible beasts, each representing an arrogant nation or king. And then there comes this most terrible empire, which has many horns. But then we see that God, who is known as the ancient days, the ancient of days, takes his throne and he judges the beast. And then we get this amazing, amazing passage, which says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. Again, think about what I said earlier about me saying something. Hopefully you would have twigged something, because that's what Tom was saying just now. <laughs> this passage of Daniel, much like Revelation, it's, it's apocalyptic writing. It's that unveiling, revealing something of God that humanity don't naturally grasp. It's an unveiling of the heavens to a human and showing them the timeless destiny of humanity, of the world and of sin and death. The age to come, whatever or whenever that will be, will look like all peoples, nations and tongues, serving and praising Jesus for eternity. As a side note, it's quite amazing. It's Palm Sunday today. I don't know if many of you um, are aware of sort of the calendar thing. And that's when Jesus went into Jerusalem on a donkey and they all wafted palms and they all shouted Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord even the king of Israel the passage then says Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written fear not daughter of Zion behold your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt they saw Jesus and they saw him as the fulfillment of prophecy the king of Israel but they were limited in what they saw. They saw him as military and political leadership. What they didn't understand was that the fulfillment of this prophecy of Jesus' kingship wasn't limited to this world, but was for this age and the age to come. Jesus didn't try and invest in gaining political power, financial gain in his life, because he knew it wasn't important. If Jesus had wanted to, he could have. But Palm Sunday isn't the pinnacle of Jesus' ministry. Easter is, the weekend afterwards. Jesus' kingship isn't 
defined by a procession of wealth, but by a walk to the cross and then walking out of an empty grave. Jesus knew that there was an age coming where his life, death, and resurrection would see him seated, eternally throned, as it says in Matthew 19. And so because of that, seeing what was to come, he left all those things that we try and grab hold of and gain in this world, power, money, sex, authority, because he knew that he had those things, he had authority and power anyway, and he was going to have that for eternity. Not sex. Let's make that clear. Sounded a bit weird the way I said it. I understand. And because he has been exalted, he is worthy of all glory and honor and praise and adoration. He'll wipe away every tear, and there'll be no sickness, pain, death, or sadness. And we will be a part of that. The church will be there with him living for eternity and that is the age that we look forward to i read the revelation passage where it speaks about uh, the bride the holy city that that is us it will be us in eternity we are to be the new jerusalem the dwelling place of god we are the embodiment of the promises of god for his people and that is for all nations tribes and tongues we will be joined as one bride one church one Israel. There will be no Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free man. Our identity will not be limited by these human denominations because we will know that our identity is in Christ, bride, holy. That's what is awaiting for those who are in Christ in the new creation. And as I said earlier, it's okay to long for those things and to mourn what we don't see right now, to read of this coming age of no sickness and death and and pain and to mourn what is currently here. That is okay. And our hearts should beckon the day. I just want to quote a song, It Is Well. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trumpet shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. That's why we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because we long to see this fully realized. Hallelujah. We long to see this day coming where Jesus is enthroned and we see that for eternity. But my third point, there will be judgment. Roman makes that, Romans 14 makes that very clear. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, and each of us will give an account of himself to God. And that's true if you're a Christian or not today. We will all sit before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says we, which means he expects that he will have to do this too. And so I say to you again, what are you investing in? And when I say that, I don't mean purely, are you saved? If you're not a Christian, you don't know Jesus this morning, I don't want to beat around the bush. There will be a judgment coming. And the holy, perfect God will judge 
the living and the dead. That will come. But all of your sins can be forgiven because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. And if you want to know more about all that Jesus has done for you, please come and uh, grab me or Tom or Rob or Chris or anyone really who knows Jesus because we'd love to tell you more about him and why it's changed our lives. I'm sure they, hopefully if you've been brought here by a Christian, they can't stop telling you about Jesus because it's saved them and changed their lives. But if you are a Christian here today, don't think that you go, oh yeah, I know this, I've got this, cool, wonderful. You will be held accountable for your investments in this world, by which I mean your actions. So are you investing in the right places and in the right things? Those are mustard seeds, by the way. When it comes to your life, are you investing in the things of this world or are you investing in the age to come? When it comes to your workplace, do you see that as a place to gain prestige and glory and money? Or do you see it as a place to show Christ, work diligently in humility, whatever your role is? Share the good news of what Jesus has done in your life, even when it's difficult. Are you investing in the temporary or the eternal? Is church a high priority in your life, or is it tagged on? Do you turn up on the Sunday and then walk out and go, oh, cool, I'm done, I've ticked that off? Are you trying to become more Christ-like, digging into his word and letting it fill up inside you so you speak truth into situations where there isn't any? Are you using your giftings that God has given you in the upbuilding and encouraging of the church? Are you serving? Are you giving financially to the work of the church? Are you passionate to see revival break out in Hailsham and the surrounding areas? See the spirit move in power? Are you praying earnestly? If you're answering no to one or more of those questions, there's probably something not quite right. Maybe you should need to spend some time praying and digging into God, going, God, where, where is my heart? Where are my investments? Have I become too swept up in this material world that we live in? And then finally, something that I really just felt this morning was after this passage, Jesus tells a parable about laborers in a vineyard. And uh, the foreman goes out and gets some laborers in the start of the day. And he goes out and gets some more at lunchtime. Then he goes and gets some more an hour before they finish. And then at the end of the day, they're all paid the same amount. And some of the laborers from the start of the day complain and say, we have done a whole day's work while they haven't done much at all. How are they being paid the same as us? And they're embittered and grumpy. And I just feel that possibly there are some people here today for whom that has snuck into your heart actually maybe you've known Jesus for a long time you've walked with him for a long time but there's something that's happened in your heart and there's been an embitterment that's started to creep in might be with church specifically it could be with your own walk with God it could be with other people's walk with God and you you can't help yourself but judge their walk with God I just want to say that's not honoring It is Jesus' money to give out. It is Jesus' mercy and grace. It's not ours. Where are we investing? Are we investing in the life to come or investing in right now, getting the most we can, that hedonistic lifestyle? 
just want to ask the band to come up. And just while they play, just could ask everyone to stand. And basically just to ask yourself that question. Are there things in my life that have crept in where I'm investing too much in the here and now? Where I'm holding on to things. Maybe it's financial wealth. Maybe it is financial wealth, like that young man. But maybe it's other things. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's that job, that promotion. Maybe it's that relationship. I just really want to repeat Tom's encouragement earlier to lay those things down. So I'm just going to give a minute where I just hold out your hands. And if that's you, if anything I've said today has sort of poked you, just pray through that with God. He is so gloriously loving and willing to forgive. He wants to be in good relationship with you. He doesn't want you to be held back. All these things that I'm speaking about, they're just chains that are around your feet tripping you up. God wants to get rid of them. And then we're going to sing, there is a day. And we're going to look to that day that is coming. But first, let's just spend some time before God.